Uh, I did have a, one announcement and a prayer item that I missed. We're, we're talking about becoming a kingdom man this, this, in this series. Um, and I know um, if, you're, if you're a woman or what have you, I, I, there's stuff to be learned here. But a big part of the focus of this series is, is men, because um, a, a lot of what our culture and the church in America, actually in the world, is struggling with is, is a lack of male leadership. Um, men have, have kind of fallen to this place where we don't participate, you know, we don't act out God's will, we don't, um, we don't do what's expected of us. And because we, we sit in this position, um, the church is struggling, uh, families are, are in trouble, um, things are not the way they're meant to be. And, and so we're looking at what the scriptures say about what's expected of men. Um, and um, this is, uh, well, we're going we're gonna to open up today talking about um, sort of the two big stereotypes regarding um, men in America, right? Like what's expected of us. Um, and, and actually, I, I'm going to steal this. I'm telling you, I'm stealing this from a Tony Evans book. Um, Tony Evans talks about the three stages of manhood that, that occur, right? There's maleness, right? Like where people are generally male. Titus, my, my son, he's a male, right? He's, he's the home of a Y chromosome, and, and that's it, right? Like he's... He's not a cowboy yet. He's not. Um, he's awesome, but but he's awesome by merit being himself, not by you know him being an action hero or or anything like that. He's a male. Everybody with me? This is the most basic level. Then there's boyhood. Um, this is this is the stage where um, um, you sort of enjoy things, right? <laughs> this is where you where you go out and you act like a boy. And and very often in our culture we see where people don't get past that. Um, we see um, men who never grow up, you know, who never never stand up and, and take responsibility for their lives, who, who live their lives being taken care of by someone instead of taking care of people, um, who uh, um, you know, never take things seriously and, and, and enjoy the fun that they have instead, right? And I, I say that as a guy, I'm 30-whatever, um, now I'm 25, and... <laughs> And I still have an Xbox, and I have quite a few toys I play with, you know, and so, like, I, I stand a little bit in this area. I mean, and fun isn't bad, but oftentimes men hit a point where fun is all that matters, right? And we, we eschew the important things in life and the responsible things in life in favor of what's fun. I mean, it, and, and you see this, right? Am I, am I out in left field here? It, it's all over. Um, the final stage is, is um, manhood, right? And, and um, our, our culture here, we have a split, okay? We have God's ideal, which we're going to talk about a little bit today. And then we have the other end, which is sort of this, this um, incorrect perspective. And I'm going to talk a little bit about this, that this morning, this, this incorrect perspective on what it means to be a man. And I, I think the roots of it intellectually come from um, a fellow named Friedrich Nietzsche, right? He was a German philosopher in the 1800s. And Nietzsche didn't believe in God. Right? He, in fact, he downright despised God because he said that for, for a man, God takes away your, your strength. He takes away your will. And he says a real man, you know, a, a superman, the ubermensch, right? The superman is the man who steps past all of that and puts away everybody else's like pull on his life. And he does whatever he wants, right? <laughs> um, he decides what's right and wrong. He decides how he's going to live. He decides what's important. And, and that's it. You know, nobody gets to tell him what's what. Um, 
And, and we, we kind of, this is sort of our, our popular perspective of what manhood is now, right? You turn on, um, name an action star for me. Bruce Willis. No one can think of any? Bruce Willis. Bruce Willis, who? Hugh Jackman. Oh, Hugh Jackman, yeah. Um, I like uh, Jason Statham, right? You know, like this, you know, they, but these guys, when they, when they encounter a problem, they solve it how they see fit, right? There's a lot of shooting involved usually. <laughs> There's a, and, and they sort of dictate the right and wrong of the situation, and they handle it the way they want to handle it, right? And they, they are their own authority about right and wrong. They are their own authority about justice. They, they carry their own, their, own, um, they carry their own power on their sleeve, and they inflict it on everyone else. Um, this is the perspective that, that you know, like, like, it's especially popular. We don't always realize it, like the, the, the cowboy perspective, or I'm going to be careful here. Um, but, but there's sort of this I'm strong, I can stand on my own thing, right? Um, the, the, the Marlboro man who, you know, like, is out on his own and doesn't need anybody's help, or, or Desperado who, who never comes back from riding fences, that's what he does, you know? And he stands alone. This is, it's sort of a, I'm sorry, Greg, did I offend you? Um, <laughs> um, it's sort of this incorrect perspective on what it means to be a man. It's popular, right? It seems really cool, but it's not right. And we're going to look at, at sort of the biblical perspective. We're going to be in Matthew 11 this morning. Um, and, and before we dig into the, the text, i got a couple of things, right? Like, like from our past few weeks. Kingdom men, men by God's standards, are people who represent God in our world. They represent God's authority to those around them. They, they encounter people and they are like, like God's hand and feet, right? This is what a kingdom man is. Um, he desires greatness in God's kingdom, not on his own terms. And this is where the split is, right? Because you can't be great on your own terms and be great in God's kingdom. We don't get to dictate, right? When we dictate, we stand, I, there's a spot in the scriptures where Satan is tempting Christ and he says, um, hey, you just bow down to me one time, right? Just one time, I'll give you everything. The whole world, it's all free, just bow down once. And, and this is sort of the opposite of the kingdom man perspective. You know, we, kingdom men understand that we bow down to him, he gets everything, and he's in charge. You know, he is, he is God. You know, and he, he calls the plays. Um, Kingdom men live without or live out Christ's teaching in their in their lives, they, in their families, in their neighbor, amongst their neighbors, um, in their workplace, and in their church. And, and we're going to see how this works out in Matthew 11. Um, what's going on here is Jesus is teaching, and he's approached by several of John the Baptist's disciples. Now, John the Baptist was um, Jesus' uh, cousin. He was actually the the like one of the greatest prophets of the uh, of the old, you know the original period before the crucifixion. Um, John the Baptist was also um, in jail at this point. Everybody with me? He's got thousands of followers. He's got so many followers that he is able to badmouth the king, and the king's afraid to arrest him. <laughs> like, he is a scary man because he has so many people who follow him. And he lives rough. He lives in the desert. He wears camel hair clothes, which means rough clothing. He eats honey and locusts, which it may mean that he actually just subsisted on honey and locusts. It probably means that he ate a very basic and rough diet. Like, he did not live easy, right? And he called people to a very, 
very, very difficult standard. And he created a lot of enemies and eventually got his head cut off for his efforts. Um, so in Matthew 11, we're going to start at 1. When Jesus had finished giving instructions to his 12 disciples, he departed from there to teach and preach in their cities. Now when John, while in prison, heard of the works of Christ, he sent word by his disciples and said to him, Are you the expected one, or shall we look for someone else? Okay, so John the Baptist is in jail, right? He's on the edge of getting his head removed. He doesn't know that's coming yet, but it is coming. Um, and he sends his followers who are tending to him in jail, and he says, Look, go talk to this guy and see if he's the one. And so the disciples show up, like John's disciples show up, and they say, Hey, are you the one? Um, or should we be looking for someone else? Why? Well, I'm guessing that John the Baptist, sitting in jail, begins to wonder, really, God, are you going to get me out of here? <laughs> you know, is the end coming? Is God going to fix all the injustice in the world? What's next? And so they send these other people to ask. Um, and Jesus responds, uh, go and report to John what you hear and what you see. The blind receive sight and the lame walk, and lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear. The dead are raised up and the poor have the gospel preached to them. And blessed is he who does not take offense at me. Um, so Jesus says, look, just go tell them what you saw. Right? And he specifically cites all of these examples from Isaiah that tell of, like, the Messiah coming. Like, this is, he's basically saying, yes, I am. Tell them what you saw. This is evidence. Everybody with me? So John's disciples go. As these men were going away, Jesus began to speak to the crowds about John. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? But what did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing? Who, um, those who wear soft clothing are in king's palaces. But what did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, one who is more than a prophet. So Jesus turns to the crowds, and he says, Look, when you guys went out to listen to John the Baptist speak, what were you looking for? Right? Were you looking for a reed shaken by the wind? Now, reeds, um, like specifically the plant reeds, everybody knows what I'm talking about, right? Like these are hollow plants. They're strong, but they give, right? And so when the wind blows, what do the reeds do? They bend, right? And they bend whatever way the wind is blowing. Why do they do that? So they don't break. Um, a reed is not a strong thing. You would not build a house out of reeds. And he says, listen, when you go out looking, when you went out looking for John the Baptist, were you expecting to find a weak man? Were you expecting to find a man who would give when the pressure happened? Well, of course you were, right? Now, I'm going to hit pause here. Very often when folks look for someone to direct their lives, they look for someone who will bend the way they want them to. It's the truth, isn't it? Um, Desmond Tutu, he is, he's like in the UN. He's a bishop, and, and, and he made a statement this week that, that I thought was interesting. He said, and I'm not trying to open a can of worms on this topic. I'm over distracted from the message here. Desmond Tutu said, I would rather go to hell than worship a God who is homophobic. Really? Um, specifically, what he's saying, and he expands it, he says, if God doesn't believe the way I believe, I want nothing to do with him. I would rather be in hell than in heaven with a God who doesn't agree with me. Really? I mean, he could have followed up and said, if you'll bow down to me on this one issue, you can have my life. 
And that's what folks expected of John the Baptist. They went to him, and John the Baptist was out there declaring a hard truth. And they expected John to bend. And John wouldn't. And eventually it cost him an awful lot. Um, he goes on, he says, where did you expect to see a man dressed in soft clothing? Those who wear soft clothing are in king's palaces. Um, very often when we look to people who, who are worth looking up to, our culture points to people who have a lot of money, right? Who, who are wealthy, not people who are like entrenched wealthy, people who are like countercultural wealthy, like, like rap stars. They talk about how much money they have. And, and um, I, I'm sure no one would listen to a word Donald Trump has to say if he wasn't, you know, like filthy, dirty, rich, right? Like we wouldn't pay attention to that guy. But oftentimes we look for folks and we don't want the poor man. We don't want the guy who's got nothing to offer us, like monetarily. We want, you know, we want the guy who's got stuff for us, right? Um, I, I think it's interesting to read about how much uh, uh, Zuckerman, the guy who owns Facebook, right? How much influence he has on, on politics. You know, I follow that kind of loosely because what is he? He's a you know, 20 some odd year old kid who started a social networking website. Like, what does he know about the world? Apparently enough to make a gajillion dollars, right? But not enough to launch a stock properly. Anyway. Um, <laughs> um, but oftentimes people look and they say, I want you to meet my standard, right? And so when they look for God, when men look for God, they say, God, I will deal with you if you deal with me on my terms. Don't you know I have will? I'm powerful. I am in charge. And God doesn't get to hold that spot. I am in charge. Um, and it's a terrible thing because it's not how we follow God. And that's the problem John the Baptist encountered frequently. People wanted John to be something he wasn't. And so Jesus says, yes, I tell you, the one who, um, you, you went to see a prophet. And one was more than a prophet. He goes on, 10 to 15. Um, this is the one about whom it is written. Behold, I send my messenger before you, ahead of you, who will prepare the way before you. Truly I say to you, amongst those born of women, there is not arisen anyone greater than John the Baptist. Yet the one who is the least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. And so when he hit pause, he says, look, John the Baptist is the guy Isaiah was talking about. He's the prophet who came ahead of me. And he was getting everybody ready for me showing up. Everybody with me? John was preparing the way. And the way was hard. It wasn't easy. It wasn't comfortable. It wasn't fraught with like wealth and, and reward. It wasn't our way. It was God's way. And people didn't like that, and they fought against it. Um, and he goes on and he says, this guy was so great that of the old prophets, he was the one. He was the greatest man ever born of a woman, period. So, like, if you're looking at someone who is great in God's eyes on his own merit, that's John, right? And John set a high standard, and it was a hard standard, a Bible in the belt standard, Right? Like, like, it's something that there's no give on. And he says, but wait, the least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than him. Well, what's that mean? Well, people who are born in the flesh are in this world. People who are born into the kingdom of heaven are born in the spirit. Meaning, folks who follow Christ, folks who belong to Christ, folks who are born again in Christ, are born into Christ's greatness. My greatness as a man, right, is a product of Jesus. When I act righteously, when I'm a good example to my children, when I'm um, you know, a good husband to my wife, it may not be that often, 
but it's a product of Christ. Like, purely a product of me being born in the Spirit. Christ lives in me, and all of my greatness as a kingdom man is a product of that. And kingdom men recognize, this is a part, you want to be great in God's kingdom, you recognize it's Jesus that makes it happen, right? Our greatness points to Christ. Um, it goes on. For the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence, and violent men take it by force. What's he talking about? He's, this is a hard passage because it's somewhat ambiguous, but the negative words in it imply, right, the way that the Greek is written, it's implied that people have violently handled the kingdom of God, right? People have, you know, people have arrested John the Baptist. Jesus has been recently rejected. He's taught in several cities, and he's been rejected publicly. This is the kingdom of God that's suffering violence. Violence is being raised against the kingdom of God. Um, and, 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 you know, that's what he's trying to say. He says, listen, the time is here where people don't like the message they're receiving, and so they treat the kingdom of God with violence, right? I don't like you. I don't like what John the Baptist has to say. I don't like hearing about sin. I don't like hearing about these things. And so we're going to mishandle you. And I'm going to mishandle you until you give me what I want, right? What do people want? Well, they wanted God to fit their mold. Isn't that the truth? And again, you know, this isn't isolated to this time. Um, in England, the Church of England is considering how to launch pagan churches so that they can draw membership back. You know, they're going to conform the church to fit the world bring people back in so that the organization doesn't die. It's an awful thing. Um, because they're going to they're sacrifice Jesus. Not the way Jesus was meant to be sacrificed, but they're going to sacrifice the gospel in favor of what people want so they'll come back. For if you are willing to accept that John himself is Elijah who was to come, he who has ears let him hear. So he says, listen, if you listen, understand, John the Baptist was like the greatest prophet, because Elijah was the greatest prophet. He's not literally Elijah. He came in the spirit and bearing the same message, meaning he is the big, powerful, serious prophet. If you will accept that that's what it is, if you'll listen to what he had to say, if you'll repent, if you'll be baptized, if you'll do these things, John was like Elijah, like Probably to compare Elijah to anyone in our history would be like Abraham Lincoln, right? You know, he's awesome. He's, he's the best president, the best leader the country ever had. So, like, if you're going to compare it to anyone, compare it to him. You know, like, look, it's like Abraham Lincoln showed up again. You know, that's how serious it is. Um, but you've got to listen and you've got to accept you can't force your opinion onto it. Because the moment you force your opinion onto it, it ceases to be and it becomes something different. Matthew 11, 16 to 19. But to what shall I compare this generation? It's like children sitting in the marketplaces who call out to other children and say, we played the flute for you and you did not dance. We sang a dirge and you did not mourn. Um, for John came neither eating nor drinking, and they say, he has a demon. And the Son of Man came eating and drinking, and they said, behold, he is a gluttonous man and a drunkard and a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Yet wisdom is vindicated by her deeds. So he says, listen, this generation, these people, they're like little kids. And they don't want to play the game that's in front of them, right? I love Abby, and she's not here to hear me say that. Um, sometimes doing stuff with Abby makes me, oh, is she? Cover her ears. Um, 
It makes me want to pull my hair out, right? Um, we're, we're potty training. She wears these, these pull-ups, right? They have cartoon characters on them, so she'll wear them. And, and yesterday she put on ones with Ariel, and then she had, I don't know, a 30-minute temper tantrum? Because she wanted Minnie Mouse instead. <laughs> you, you give me what I want or else, right? Or you'll read her books and you'll get about halfway through and she'll have a temper tantrum because she wants a different book. You know, like Jesus is comparing the generation around him to the children who say, I want it this way. Wait, no, no, I want it this way. And it's okay, honey, I didn't mean it. Um, <laughs> the, the, the generation, these are people who are standing around and demanding God play their game. Right? I am in charge. You will bow down to me or I won't play. In fact, the matter is that the moment God bows down to our will, he ceases to be God. The moment we try to force God into our mold, he stops being who he is. And he becomes our plaything and not really God at all. Um, and so when John the Baptist comes along, John the Baptist lived hard and he lived, lived sparingly and he followed the law to a T. And they said, oh, John the Baptist... Oh, no, he's too hard. He, he's got to be the devil. And then Jesus comes along, and he lives in grace, and he celebrates life, and he spends time with sinners, and they say, oh, 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 no, no, that's not okay. They want it both ways. Um, the fact of the matter is they want what they want. Um, then he began to denounce, we're going to go through this part really quick, okay? Then he began to denounce the cities um, in which he, most of his miracles were done because they did not repent. Woe to you, Chereza. Uh, woe to you, Bethsaida. Um, for it was the miracles. If the miracles occurred in Tyre and Sidon, which occurred in you, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. Nevertheless, I say to you, it will be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon in that day of judgment than for you. Tyre and Sidon is Sodom and Gomorrah. Right? It's, a more, it's, a, it's an updated. He says, listen, you guys saw miracles but you didn't like my message because it wasn't the one you wanted. And it'll be better for Sodom and Gomorrah on the day of destruction, on the day of judgment, than it will be for you. Because you met me, you saw the kingdom, you heard the word, and you rejected it because it, it wasn't what you wanted. So judgment will come heavy for that. Um, because they, they wanted God to dance their dance. Um, we move on. And you, Capernaum, will never be exalted to heaven Will you? You will descend to hell. For if the miracles that occurred on Sodom, which occurred in you, it will have remained to this day. Nevertheless, I say to you that it will be more tolerable for the land of Sodom in the day of judgment than for you again. They rejected Jesus not because of the miracles, because he went and performed miracles. And they saw the miracles and they were like, awesome, miracles! But wait a minute, I don't want to do what you want me to do. And so I'm going to accept the gift, but I'm not going to respect or follow under the will of God. Um, at that time, Jesus said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and the intelligent and have revealed them to infants. Yes, Father, for this way was well pleased in your sight. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father. Nor does anyone know the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son wills to reveal him. Okay, big chunk. He says, listen, Lots of folks who consider themselves wise by this world's standards don't see it, right? Um, lots of people who say, um, you know, I am clever, I know what's what, 
don't see the message that Christ is delivering. They don't see God's will for them. They can't because they're too busy being smart. But people who are willing to become like children, willing to accept what God offers them, um, willing to be taken care of by God's grace, people who are willing to come into that place, they can come to know the Father because the Son allows it. Um, last part here, and this is where we're going with all of this, okay? Um, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Now here's what's important here, okay? A yoke, you would put it on the back of an ox, right? An ox is like a big cow or a bull or something. It's a big, powerful animal. It was the diesel engine of the first century, right? I mean, it's what you use to get work done. And so if you had a, a field to till, you would put a yoke on your ox, and you might yoke two of them together, and they would drag your, um, your plow, right? And, and that's how you would plow. If you had stuff to move, you would put stuff in a cart, and your ox would move it, because it was big and it was strong. So the yoke is the thing you put on the ox. What purpose did it serve? Well, um, first off, it made the ox follow your directions, right? Because it's a little like a bridle. Anybody ride horses here? <laughs> you pull on the string, right? It's a string. And then, <laughs> hey, I don't ride horses. Um, <laughs> um, you pull on the, on the thingy and the, the horse turns. Why? Because it, that's how you steer him, right? It doesn't have a steering wheel. It's got, it's got these things with the bridle. And the, is it called a bridle? Yes. yes. That's probably no coincidence. Anyway, um, it's a marriage joke there. Um, <laughs> it, you, you pull on the bridle and the horse turns. It's the same with the ox, right? You pull on the oak and the ox turns, right? Um, you pull it the other way, the ox turns the other way. It's the thing that makes the ox turn. After that, it's the thing that turns the oxes, the oxen, the ox, possessive oxes, um, work into work, right? Because you tie your furrow or your plow to the yoke. Um, or you tie your cart to the yoke. And when the ox moves, it moves everything with it. Everybody still with me? Jewish scholars would call teaching or the Bible the yoke, right? It was this thing you put on you, and it gave you direction how you were going to go, and it turned your effort, according to that direction, into work. Um, Christ says, listen, if you're tired of carrying your own weight, put my yoke on you. Now, you can't dictate to a yoke what's what, right? I can't say, all right, look, yoke, I'm happy to have you here, but I'm going that way. Do horses do that occasionally? What happens then? You correct them, right? At that time, you had a thing called an ox goat. It was an eight-foot-long stick with a point. <laughs> and when the ox got tired of moving or it did something it wasn't supposed to do, you poked him, right? <laughs> and it taught the ox to do what he was supposed to do. But you don't dictate to the, to the bridle. You don't dictate to the calf. You don't dictate to the yoke. It dictates to you. And so Christ says, listen, if you're tired of carrying your own weight, if you're tired of doing your own thing, if you're tired of being in charge, if you're tired of trying to win your way to heaven and you want to do it right, take my yoke. Take my teaching. Put it on you. It's light. I'm gentle and humble in heart is one of the ways it's phrased. And I'll take care of you. Meaning that when we take Christ's yoke on us, he doesn't beat us with it. 
He loves us and shapes us and steers us. Um, sometimes there's a little bit of hurting involved, right? Because sometimes it's hard. But it's a product of love. We submit to Christ out of love. Um, and it turns the best things out. Um, when I act according to the scriptures in my marriage, my marriage tends to be better. Um, is that right, honey? <laughs> when I parent according to the scriptures, I parent better. When I do business according to God's will, I do better. Because it turns my life into work. It'll make my kids better. It'll make my family better. It'll make my, my community better. It makes my work more effective. Because it's a product of doing it God's way. But God is steering, right? So as men, we've been talking about what it means to be great in God's kingdom. And it's not wrong to want to be great in God's kingdom. But we're great in God's kingdom because we carry that yoke and we turn it into work. We don't dictate to the yoke. We don't say to the yoke, whoa, 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 everything except here, right? And folks like that, everything except money, everything except, like, sex, everything except family, everything except this, this is mine. I'm in charge of this. That's not how it works, right? Because when it doesn't work that way, what, I'm, I'm going to ask Rebecca, if a horse wants to do its own thing, how do you convince it? Like, like to do it the way you, where you're dictating. You know, you tell it turn right, it doesn't want to turn right, what do you do? You have a discussion. <laughs> <laughs> with the rain. With the rain. <laughs> you correct it, right? And oftentimes God will do that with us. He'll correct us when we come into rebellion. And he'll correct us over and over again until we fall into line with his will. You watch something fall apart in your life over and over again, you back up and you say, well, what's going on? Maybe one of the questions you ought to be asking is, am I submitting this stuff to God's will? Is it part of the yoke or am I leading the way? Um, how does this play out? Um, as kingdom men, it's our job to carry this yoke, and it's done in love. Right? It's not an I have to. It's I want to. Every time I do offering here, I make it a point to say, um, this is something we do as an act of submission. This is submitting our finances to God's will. Why? Because we're not buying our way into heaven. Because we don't do it because we have to. We do it because we love God. And this is part of what's commanded of us. It's the yoke steering us. Um, as godly men, as kingdom men, we learn it we live it and we love it, right? We digest it, we consume it, we read it every day, we talk to God every day, we learn it so that it becomes second nature, and then we carry it forward with us, and we apply it over and over and over again. And we do it as, a, as an act of relationship. Um, we do it because we love Jesus. We do it because God saved us from our sins in Christ. Um, for the next two weeks, we're going to kind of finish out this series. We're going to talk about the concrete end of this, how it affects marriage, right? Which is going to be one of those passages that nobody ever preaches on. So that'll be next week. It'll be the exciting one. You can throw Rob and Brood at me if you want. Except you, Michael. Um, <laughs> and then the week after that, we're going to look at some of the extension of, of this teaching, okay? Um, and so we're going to close in prayer. And actually, this, this morning, we're going to be doing communion. And, and um, I'm going to talk about that in a second, but we're going to close in prayer. I'm going to call my communion um, servers forward. Um, Heavenly Father, I pray that you would be with us this morning.
Help us to come to a place where we would submit to your will, where we wouldn't demand that you follow our will, that we wouldn't demand that, that you would be the God after our own selves, that we wouldn't do what's right in our own sights, but that we would live in submission to you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.